Welcome to the continuation of our study of Ephesians. This is the study of Ephesians chapter 6, part 2. Today we'll be covering Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 24, and we'll be discussing work relationships and putting on God's armor. So if you'd open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin our study. Okay, so now let's move on to our work relationships. All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. And and, and let me set this up uh, first. So as Paul's writing this, you know, the Roman population, I I went and did a little research. It was about one-third of the population were slaves at this time, okay? And so there were lots of slaves. There were many Christians that were slaves, that slavery is was a lot different than the slavery we saw, you know, in the in the in America. And there are lots of verses on how to treat slaves. You know, I can show you even if if your finger's still in Exodus twenty one, there's lots of verses about not abusing your slaves and um uh, you know, it says uh let me just show you a couple. In in Exodus 21, verse 20, And if a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and he dies at his hand, he shall be punished. Verse 26, And if a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on account of his eye. There's lots of verses in here about how masters and slaves were to relate to one another as Christians, uh, as being equal in God's eyes. And so... I'm going to ask us, as we're reading this, though, to take a look at this in terms of our work relationships, because I think it speaks to that as well. So let me start out here. Uh, Verse 5, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ, not by way of eye service, as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So let me unpack that a little bit. He's basically saying that, you know, what does it mean only by way of eye service? That means just doing good work uh, when you're being watched. We've probably all seen employees, uh, maybe we've been that way, that all of a sudden you hear the boss coming down the hall, and it's like, oh, oh I'm gonna, I better make myself look real busy. That's doing eye service, okay? And, and what he's saying is when we're doing our work, we should do the best job we can all the time, not just by way of eye service when the boss is around. And then it says, or as men pleasers. What's that talking about? That means just trying to make a good impression to make ourselves look good, trying to make ourselves look better than we really are uh, in front of others. What he's saying is, God has given us each of our jobs. I mean, we've talked about this before. Why in the deal, uh, as soon as we become Christians, we just get zapped up to heaven? I mean, why are we left here? There's got to be a reason. And I think as you read the scriptures, the reason is we have a role to play. We're to be light in a dark culture. We're to go out and make disciples. Uh, there are things that we're left here on this earth to do. And when you think about the job that we each have, whatever we're doing right now, 
God has each of us in our roles for a reason. And I think it's really important that we think about that, pray about that, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us discern what is that will for our life in this current position that we have. Each of us have, I don't care what your role is, I don't even care if you're the boss or you you don't have anybody that reports to you. We all have a boss, and, and that's, that's the Lord. And we're called to be servants to others. And I, I'm going to show you that in a minute. But whatever role God has us in, we're to be light to everyone else around us and to do the best job we can in that role so that people see that we are different. We're not just giving eye service or being men pleasers. Uh, but we see in verse 7, with goodwill, Render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So he's basically saying we should do a great job. Just don't think of yourself as working for whoever your boss is. We all have a boss. Think that you're doing that work for God. God put you in that role. Now do the best job you can to bring glory and praise uh, and honor to God. He says, do it as if you're working for Christ. Verse 9, and masters, do the same thing to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality in him. So we're all equal. No matter where you are on the totem pole at work, whether you're the boss or whether you're on the front line we're all equal in God's eyes and we're actually all called to do the best job we can and live our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to God flip over to Matthew 20 uh, go back over to the left Matthew first gospel of the New Testament Matthew 20 and I'll start in, uh, in verse 20 Uh, Let me set this up first. So what we see here is we see two of the disciples, if we go over and look in Mark, it gives the same account. We learn that it's James and John. And they get their mom to go ask Jesus to sit each of them at the right and left of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom, okay? Well, Jesus knows right off that it's not the mom asking this. So he answers directly to James and John. And so uh, let's look at what he, let, let's, let's read the account. So then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him, so that's the mother of James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he, Jesus, said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. James and John said that to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, that is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by the Father. And hearing this, the ten, so the other ten disciples, became indignant at the two brothers. So they're kind of irritated. It's like, 
you all have the gall to go ask to be better than the rest of us? So they're a little irritated at him. And Jesus sees this, and so he takes this opportunity to call them all together and explain how he expects each of us to act as a boss, at work, really in all our relationships um, with our kids, with our parents, with our spouse. But Jesus called them in verse 25, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That means the Gentiles, their rulers, lord it over the people underneath them. They domineered them. They, 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 they made it clear that they were in authority, and they forced the other people beneath them to serve them. And he goes on. He says, And their great men exercise authority over them. Verse 26 and, and by the way, isn't that the typical leadership model that you see in business today? Well, I'm the boss. And as long as you're serving me, uh, I, man, you, you, you're secure in your position. But as soon as you quit serving me, you're out of here. I mean, I only, I only want you here as long as you're doing what I tell you to do and you're serving my needs. You're helping me get my goals accomplished. You're helping me look better. Isn't that the... Isn't that the typical top-down leadership model? Okay, let's see what Jesus says about that. Verse 26. It shall not be so among you. Huh. Sounds like he doesn't like that top-down leadership model. It is not to be so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying he doesn't want us to, to be the typical top-down leaders in our work relationships, in our spouse relationship. He wants us to serve others, okay? Here, Jesus is God. He's all-powerful. He's king. He's Lord. Yet when he came to earth, what does he say? He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And that's how he expects all of us to be. And so I ask you, you know, as you think about your relationships at work, let's focus on that. The people you interact with, whether they be partners, um, subordinates, at least on the org chart, are you serving them? That's a whole different dynamic, isn't it? Are you putting their needs before your own? Are you thinking about how can you help them progress in their careers rather than how can they help you look better in your own organization? Are you trying to clear the way and and make things possible for them to do a better job? Uh, Are you training them? Are you helping them? Are you supporting them? Are you getting to know them on a personal basis so you even know when things maybe aren't going well outside of work uh, that you might even be able to ask them, hey, what's going on? Can I pray for you? Yeah, believe it or not, you can actually ask somebody at work, can you pray for them? Don't make them uncomfortable, but I've never had somebody turn me down uh, when I've asked, can I say a prayer for you? 
And what's amazing is many, many times that's led to a further discussion days, weeks, months down the road where they say, hey, there's something different about you. Can you tell me about, tell me about your faith? There's just something different about you. So you don't have to be going up and down the halls reading the Bible and shouting out, repent, repent. Uh, you know, it, it, people are watching you, and it's just the way you live your life. And are you living that way at work? Are you living that way at home? Do your kids see that you're different in the way that you live your life? Are they curious as to why you're different than maybe some of the other parents that they, that they know? And, and by the way, I'm not preaching. I'm talking to myself here, okay? I mean, we're all in this same boat, I think. And so let me keep reading here. Uh, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Okay, so now Paul's going to go into, as we wrap up uh, Ephesians 6, he's going to talk about there is a spiritual battle going on out there, okay? Satan is out there with his minions in a, in a terrible battle against us every single day. And so Paul is going to tell us what we need to do to be prepared for this battle. And, and, and tell us what we need to do so that we can be strong in the Lord. You see verse 10? We have the strength of the Lord because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So first, he's going he's gonna to go through and talk about this armor of God. And there's seven pieces of armor that he's going to describe. And he's going to reference the typical Roman soldier's uniform okay, as he goes through uh, as an analogy. So he says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So that, this is this spiritual warfare that's out there. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there, there's some spiritual warfare that's going on out there. And the only way we're going to survive it is in verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day in having done everything to stand firm. Keep your finger right here in Ephesians and flip way back to the back to 1 John 4, right before Revelation. 1 John chapter 4 1 John chapter 4 and go to verse uh, to uh, John 4 4 and I hope those of you who uh, like to memorize scripture this is a good one to put to your memory this is certainly a good one to underline in your Bible if you do uh, write in your Bible you are from God little children and you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, all right? So greater is the Holy Spirit, Jesus, living inside of us than Satan. So matter, no matter what we encounter, if we just draw on this power that we have living inside of us, 
we can get through these things, these difficulties. And God can actually use them in a way uh, to draw us closer to him. So let's look at what more, more about this armor. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Okay, that's the first thing. So what is this girding your, your loins? Back in, in the day that uh, Paul's writing here, they would wear these loose robes. Okay? But when they would get ready for battle, they would tie these, the loose ends of the robes, they would tie it up tight, up close, so, you know, so that they could be ready for battle. So he's basically saying, get ready for battle. So how do we get ready for battle? We've got to have discipline, self-discipline. We've got to have commitment to the Word. We've got to study the Word. But we've got to be ready. We can't just go into battle not being ready. We've got to gird up, get ready. So that's the first thing that we have, have to do. Next thing we have to do is put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. So this isn't self-righteousness. This is living in obedience to God's Word. So put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's living in obedience to God's word. And, and then verse 15, And having shod your feet, now we're putting on our shoes, uh, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we're prepared for battle because God has already reconciled us. All right? We, sh- we should have peace through the gospel because God's no longer our enemy. God is actually living inside of us. He's now our defender. Uh, so we, we should be ready for battle now that we have the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Go over to James 4.7. James is uh, before almost towards the end and come back to the left a little bit. Uh, it's before John, 1 John, before Peter. James 4, 7 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, a lot of people remember the second part of that verse. Oh, I just have to resist the devil and he'll flee from me. That's not what this says, okay? It's misquoted all the time. You can't leave off the first part, all right? The devil is not afraid of us, all right? There's no way you're going to be able to resist the devil on your own. Forget about it. Uh, the devil will just laugh at you. It's when we call on God's power, we got to submit to God and allow God's power. That's what Satan is afraid of. So that's what he's talking about here. And then verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the sword of the Spirit. This Bible. The Word of the, word of the Lord. That's our sword. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. So we should be praying at all times when we're walking down the hall to the next meeting. You know, that doesn't mean we should be like a monk in a cave just chanting prayers, but it means communicating with God throughout the day, not just when we first wake up in the morning and not just when we go to bed. So pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. He's basically saying these satanic wars, we're not going to win them on our own with with just human energy. We've got to be praying. 
verse 19, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So he's saying we should be bold. Don't hold back from sharing the gospel with others. We should be bold. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Remember, he's in prison. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Titius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. So Titius is with him and is now going to carry this letter not only to the church in Ephesus, but then on to the other churches. That, and we talked about that when we were studying uh, chapter 1. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Uh, and, and so I find it very interesting that if you just flip over to Ephesians 1, you know, go back over to the left. If you look, Ephesians 1, verse 2, Paul begins this book of Ephesians by saying grace to you and peace from God, and he ends it with grace and peace and love. With with the grace that we've been given by God, it all starts with grace. It ends with grace. But with that grace that's given us, been given to all of us as believers, we have this unearned love of Jesus Christ, and we should then allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and in our lives so that we can show that love to others. So a couple of things that I... For application, you know, we always like to talk about application that I took away uh, from this, and then I'm anxious to hear your thoughts. You know, it's all about mutual submission to our spouse, to our parents, to our children in many ways. I mean, we do have to show discipline, but we also, there should be love and uh, encouragement to them as well, Uh, as well as in our employer-employee relationships all our relationships, there should be this, uh, our heart should be serving others and placing others before ourselves. And that's where the real magic begins in all our relationships. But we need the strength of the Lord in order to do this. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to confess our sins and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life, uh, which then will also enable us to do battle against Satan. Uh, We need to be in the Word continually, as well as in prayer. And that's what will bring us strength. So any thoughts, comments, uh, how are we going to apply this in our own lives? I'm going to call my dad today. I think that's a good idea. That's maybe something we all ought to try to do this week, is call our mom or our dad or both, tell them how much we appreciate them. That's a good takeaway. Or write them a letter, or both. Write them a message. I can't. My mind kept just drifting back uh, as we studied this. That Paul is sitting in a stone cold prison cell, and with joy, and knowing he's doing the will of the Lord. You know, maybe writing with a candle or a little bit of some daylight or whatever. And this, to me, just seems to be 
you know, for for believers, maybe even for seekers, this has got to be one of the most important messages in the Bible. This book, I could I could do this over and over again. And yeah, there's a lot in this book. There's a lot in Ephesians. It took us a long time to get through it, but even even then, we could you could spend a lot longer than we did. There is a lot to reflect on, and a lot to apply. You know, let's not ever forget the application part of it. Learning and hearing and knowledge is great, but knowledge without application is useless. So we, we you know, if we can figure out a way, what what one thing are we going to change in our life when we walk out of the door today, because of what we've heard? How can we better enable or allow the Holy Spirit to enable us to to live this type of life in all our relationships? It occurs to me, Larry, the key of it is is a different mindset that we have to submit. Our American culture is, you know, book after book of self-help. If you would get these practices, then you could achieve this. If you would do this, you could pursue your dreams, your goals, your achievement, your whatever. And, and, And a lot of that's with good intention, American culture of achievement and self-sufficiency, but it's it's wrong. It's, you guys said no. It's all about Him. It's all about submission to God. It's all about this is where the power comes from. Quit worrying about your habits and your achievement and your goals and what you want. We need to back say, okay, God, what do you want for my life? How do you want me to be? How do you want me to respond? How do you want me? to manage, how do you want me to lead this family, how do you want me to be friends, how you, you know, it just, we've just got to, you know, submit. That's really good, and, and, and to realize that everything we have, our position, our possessions, our kids, our spouse, God gave us all of that, and we're to be a good steward, live our life according to his plan, his big plan that he just put us in. It's so easy to lose sight of that, particularly when you start getting some some success in your career. You start thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm all that, you know. Look what I've done. And and I'm, you know, blessed. I had, you know, supportive parents and grandparents, extended family, and got me through college and all those things. But, you know, to raise your kid only looking at what they need to do to get their degree, their job, their whatever, without training them that life's going to have give you hard knocks no matter what you do and you need to be you know your center and your strength and your foundation needs to be your faith in the Lord and, and recognition so if you've if you've raised them to be little MIT wizards but you haven't given them the Lord you kind of missed the boat that's so good you know how well did we teach our kids to read this this book how much time did we spend with our kids teaching them what's in this Bible what's in the word and how to even read it. How much time did we spend explaining it to them? I know I'm one that probably didn't spend the amount of time I should have, and I, I, I regret that. There's, uh, a, there's a famous uh, Martin Luther King quote about uh, the uh, education. It's, it's um, to, to train them both in um, intellect and in victor, which is sort of analogous to what you're saying. You can't just focus on achievement for achievement's sake. You've got to grow in the in the word and, and, and you got to realize in our culture in the schools today I don't care where they're going to school well I probably shouldn't say that Not there, there, there probably are some some schools that aren't this way but 
by and large, what they're learning at school is counter to what's in this book. Mm-hmm. All right? So Mike, we're, is that true? I'm, I'm working on that. If we're not spending time, <laughs> it, 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 this isn't something, it doesn't say in here, by the way, I've looked, doesn't say make sure you find a really good church to send your kids to that has some really good instructors to teach them. The, it doesn't say that at all. You know what it says? It says, fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Yeah. That's not convicting. And, and the main thing that God wants us to have, and he left us and he tells us this, is he didn't leave us skills and achievement and wealth. Some of us get some of those things, but what he left us was peace. And you can have all those other things and not have the peace. That is absolutely right. And so that's what you got to pursue is that peace. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.